at a picture while you were singing. Have you ever been to one of those um, magician shows where the guy comes up and he says, what's this behind your ear? And he pulls out a coin, you know. I can't do it, so, so you've got to use your magic. You know, he pulls out something and you go, wow, how do you do that? And my sense was God saying, you know, I'm not up to tricks, but there's so much behind your ears. Or there's so much in you that you haven't begun to understand is in you that I want to draw out. It's not magic. It's my life and my spirit in you. And so uh, I can see that that really caused you to jump up and go, man, that's exciting. So that's cool. I'm going to read to you from John 18. And we're going to think about Jesus going into Jerusalem and going to the cross. John 18. Jesus is coming before Pilate. Verse 28. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out and asked them, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourself and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death he was going to die, would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Because your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me, what is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If I were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I come into the, came into the world to testify for the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. And with this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, No, Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Father, many of us have grown up with these stories. Many of us have grown up knowing the story of Easter. And we pray that you will break through what is familiar and that you will revitalize our imaginations and our hearts that we would be amazed by what you have done through Jesus. And that we would be not only amazed from a distance, but that we would enter into the reason why this was so profound and be recipients of all that he won as he went to the cross and rose from the dead. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here to take what Jesus did and make it real among us. For that is our greatest offering of worship. In your name we pray. Amen.
So today is, is Palm Sunday. Today is the, the Sunday where we remember Jesus walking in, uh, riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, riding into Jerusalem as a king, uh, not on a white stallion, which is what conquering rulers did, but on a, the back of a donkey. As a sign of humility and a sign of meekness, but not weakness. Jesus has always been misunderstood as weak, because he is meek. And what we see in the, the, these encounters that we're going to look at this morning is the meekness and weakness, apparently, of God being more powerful than anything human beings can throw at him, or Satan for that matter. We see somebody, we're going to see two kingdoms clashing, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And we've been learning about this and learning that we live in that context of the kingdoms. We're not observers. Uh, To observe is merely to be aware of these clashes, but none of us are outside of these clashes. We're either in the kingdom of light, impacted by that, or we're in the kingdom of darkness, impacted by that. There is no neutral zone. Pilate's phrase, what is truth, is the great intellectual cop-out of history. Whenever somebody can't answer a question, they just go, well, what is truth? There are lots of questions like that. But I'm going to get sidetracked, so I better be, pull myself back in here. We're talking about religion versus relationship. If we were talking in our contemporary time, we would be saying members of the Christian church killed God, crucified Jesus. It wasn't the Romans, they couldn't care less. The Romans were very good. One of the reasons they were so successful in their empire was they tolerated the local people's beliefs. As long as they paid their taxes and gave a sort of token obeyance, that's fine. They can do what they like. Religion versus relationship. So what's the outline? The outline we know, the procession. The people hailing Jesus as the king because the common people adored him. He met them, he stopped, he spoke to them, he healed them. They didn't understand the theology. They just knew this man was special. And so they hailed him as a king. Hosanna, they cried. And they walked into Jerusalem. And it's not long, a long walk down through uh, the valley and into, into the gates of Jerusalem. And they, they waved the palm branches, hailing a conquering hero. And I'm sure the disciples were you know, behind them saying, Thank you, thank you, thank you. We, we belong to him. Yep, we're his guys. We're proud to be his guys right now. That's why we sang that song, O Lord, Bring the Rain. Because what we're thinking about is kind of how cool is it to be a follower of Jesus and what kind of follower are we? How religious are we and what relationship do we have with him and how special is it? How amazed are we? Because we want to stir each other up to be bold and strong. Not waving a palm branch. And that's about it. For Jesus, this was a showdown. He was very aware of what was going to happen. He was very aware. He had read the Old Testament. He knew the prophetic words. He knew where he was going. 
He knew what he was doing and he was living from the inside out. There was nothing in those waving of the palm branches that tempted him to go, oh, I'm pretty cool, looks like I've made an impact. He looked across and he knew those palm branches would be thrown away in a few hours. And the same people who said, hail to the king, would be saying Barabbas because they were fickle. And everything that swayed them, they followed. Just depending who told them what to do. And so when he came into, in, into Jerusalem, what happened? The first thing he did in Matthew's Gospel, when Matthew is written for the Jews, so he's got a Jewish inclination, the first thing he does when he comes into Jerusalem isn't have a sort of celebratory party. He goes to the temple. And what does he do at the temple? He looks around and this time... He actually takes a breath, which is, a, which was, is remarkable. He, go, he looks at this place and then he goes away. And he comes back the next day and he turns over the tables. And he says, how dare, you how dare you turn my father's house into this prostitution of business sort of stuff that you do? How dare you? If you think Jesus is weak and meek and he never speaks a strong word into the Christian community, we don't know Jesus. We know a pathetic figure who we remember at rituals and you know, religion. It's religion. Religion emasculates Jesus and God into something that we do for him and he should be grateful. When Jesus walked into Jerusalem and into the temple, he said, Don't, don't whatever you do presume that you know what I want. Don't whatever you do Give me your bloody sacrifices with meaningless rituals and you have no intent to follow me or know me. And I'm not exaggerating. He's, you can read the Old Testament and see what he said about the sacrificial system. He got angry with people who spent time after time going through the religious stuff and never bowing before the living God. And that's why he came. I love that. I love the passion I love the anger of God when it says, I am God, and you are not. And the only time we struggle with the anger of God is when something rises up in us and goes, but I want to be God. Check your spirits. Check your spirits right now as I speak. What goes on inside you, apart from John, shut up or something. What goes on inside you in terms of God? When we stand and worship Him, what goes on inside you? Do you give Him every emotion that you can access and say, you are worthy of every single thing I have? Because that's what He did for us. He lay on the cross for us. He gave everything. Nothing was left behind. If we want to see breakthrough, if we want to see the favor of the Lord breaking into this community, we individually have to give Him everything we have. And we have to break through barriers where we're embarrassed, we're proud, we don't want to be seen to be emotional, we don't want to, we, we need to lay those down. If we're bored, we need to ask him to meet us at a deeper level. And so Jesus came in to the Last Supper. He washed the feet of these disciples and he said he was preparing them for his death. And they said, we'll be with you. We're right here with you, Jesus. Peter said, don't just wash my feet. Wash the whole of me. He had always good ideas. I'll be with you. I will not betray you. And we know the story. Jesus said, yes, you will. 
But I prayed that once you failed, sifted by Satan, you will come back stronger than ever. No, 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 Peter said, I'm, I, I'm for you, I'm with you. And Jesus just loved him anyway. They went to Gethsemane and Jesus is in the, in, the, in the garden. You know all these stories well. They went to Gethsemane. Jesus is in the garden. He goes a little bit further away with Peter, James and John, I think. And he says, pray with me. And pray for yourselves that you don't fall into temptation. And uh, he prays and he prays for the church and he prays for what is to come. And he comes back and his whole band of disciples are asleep. That'd be discouraging. I've been pouring my heart out to them and telling them I'm about to enter into the most painful thing I could possibly do and they're asleep. But he loves them anyway. How's Jesus operating? He's operating from the spirit. He's operating from the inside out. And what we're going to see is the disciples and everybody around him operates from circumstance, emotion and trying to work it out. And trying to work it out, circumstance and emotion lead them to kill God. And so do we. If you intellectually approach God and intellectually approach Jesus, you will kill him. You'll tell him how far he can go with your life. And it's by the grace of God he doesn't kill you. It's like, who do you think you are? I mean, how on earth can you work me out? I am God. But in the human spirit, the cross is what breaks the pride and the arrogance that says... No, to God, I can, I, can, I can work it out with you. And then the religious leaders come with Judas and they, they uh, arrest Jesus and he goes off to the courtyard. And the religious leaders link arms with the political leaders and go lead him through a mock trial. And finally the crucifixion. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Isn't that crazy? Fastidiously watching religious ritual while the Son of God is right in front of them. You scared of that? In your own life? You're scared of your religious stuff getting in the way of the living God? I am. We are. Good. We're all quite deeply religious. We have the ways we should do things. And there's no getting away from that. As long as we're always saying, Lord, just... Help me to submit it to you. And then Jesus goes to the cross and throughout the process he almost does not engage with the people who are going to kill him. There's no point because he's not going to be able to engage their minds. They don't understand his kingdom is not of this world. What he is doing is not of this world. So he accesses the spirit of the Father in him and that is his strength to go through to the place of crucifixion almost silently like a lamb led to the slaughter 
And what he does do is when he turns the, you read in Matthew, he turns over the the, um, tables and he rarely rails at the religious leaders. And you read in there too that the poor and the blind and the lame came and he healed them. Even in the midst of berating the religious leaders, with one hand he's pushing over the tables, on the other hand he's healing the blind and the lame because that's the heart of God. And Jesus carries his cross and the woman wail and he says, don't wail for me. And he speaks to them. He's on the cross and what does he do? He says to to Mary, his mother, he says, Mother, there's John, your son. John, there's your mother. He cares for his mother. A, 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 A criminal hanging next to him in the midst of all this pain says, Please don't forget me. And he says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's cool. That's courage. That's relationship. To understand that nothing that happened virtually, apart from turning over the tables, over Easter happened in a church. It happened in the marketplace. It happened in the places of power. It happened in the streets of Jerusalem. See, relationship with Jesus is outside in the world. Religion is God in a box and you visit him on Sunday. Most people aren't drawn to religion. That's why we are in the predicament we are in North America. Most people want to see people like Jesus living the life of God with passion, with passion and power in the marketplace. We talked about body, soul and spirit. The body being our physical bodies that go, oh, I don't feel like getting up this morning. The soul being from the shoulders up, the mind and the psychological makeup of who we are. And the spirit being that essence of who we are that God works through. And how we live out of the spirit or how we, we are learning how to do that. I was struck as I was preparing this when Jesus stood before Pilate and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate says, you are a king. And he says, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. For this reason, I was born. So why are you sucking air and living on this earth. (laughs) What's the reason for your being? What will you say to Pilate? Want to do lunch? Can we talk about this? Come on, let's just take some time out here. Negotiate a deal. That's what the religious leaders did. How many of us think that to follow Jesus means love and compromise is always finding unity at the expense of truth? How many of us rarely at the end of the day go, what is truth? Living from the inside out means, Lord, what are you saying we need to do now? What is the timing? Because, you know, the reality is that for 33 years, Jesus didn't go to Jerusalem and didn't get crucified. So there was a time of the Lord. And so even the sort of rant I've just given about the ministerial means there's a time for the Lord to say, this is the time to do something. It's not all the time and not every time. I'm very aware of that. 
but it's a frustration. Because in our culture, truth is very, very low on the agenda. And Easter is about a God who would not yield. And in the end, our reaction that rose up was, instead of your truth, we want to kill you and get you out of the way. I was born for this, said Jesus. I was born to lay down my life so that others could enter in. As we just wind this up, I always love talking about Peter because I'm so like Peter as so many of us are. He speaks so passionately and then he screws up so well. Then Jesus heals him again and again and again and forgives him. He's my only hope. And Peter, the cock crows and Peter flees and he weeps. And he goes off to Galilee and he fishes and Jesus comes to him after the crucifixion and reaches out to him and says, Peter, let's start again. Do you love me? And you know the story. So for, for Peter, the cross meant that he had no strength in himself to follow through on what he said he could do. His courage melted, and so did his conviction. Pilate was faced with a, a situation where he knew what was right, and he chickened out. He chickened out because it was politically difficult. And awkward, and his relationship politically with the Jewish leaders was awkward, and therefore to yield to his convictions would have caused problems and maybe something of a repercussion with his career. So he decided to wash his hands and say, You guys sort it out. And before I judge Pilate, I just want to go, So, how is Jesus alive in my business? How is Jesus alive in my workplace? How is Jesus alive in the fabric of what I do from day to day? How much do I back down? And I'm not meaning being objectionable. I'm not meaning hitting people over the head with the Bible. I'm just meaning being true to what you believe. And how much do we gather around the wash basin because it's easier? And we're asking God to break through. We're asking God to lead us into another place. And we are thinking this week, if God's going to break through, first he's got to break in us, break out of us, so he can break through in the the world. So that we operate from an inside conviction that says there's nothing else I can do but bear witness to this. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And it's the spirit of the living God alive in Jesus that gave him the strength to be so remarkably different to what you and I would have been. So why did Jesus go to the cross? He went to the cross to take the barrier that quenched that spirit, our sin. So we bring Jesus our sin. But if we bring Jesus our sin and that's all we do, all we will do is spin around the crucifixion and Easter week story for the rest of our lives, which means I promise God I'll do better, and like Peter, I keep failing, so I keep coming to the cross and saying, please forgive me, Lord, and I carry on doing that. 
Or like Pilate, I keep washing my hands because every time I go into the workplace, I screw up and I deny Jesus and I don't do what I want to do. And therefore, I have no effect in the world. And I go, oh, God, please forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. I am not worthy. And then I say to somebody, well, it's not my gift, you know. And I get stuck in Jerusalem. Jesus went to Jerusalem to die on a cross to take away the barrier. Once he had risen, what did he say to the disciples? He appeared to them and they knew a lot about him. And he said, wait in Jerusalem, not to be crucified, but to be filled with the spirit that is going to be released through the, risen, the resurrection. So the power of the cross is it's the place where that barrier is taken down. What happens after the cross? After the cross, they go and they wait in Jerusalem with all the stories, but no power. Isn't that what much of our life is about? We have all the stories. We'll argue people, maybe. But there's no power. There's no real love. There's no real forgiveness. There's no real uh, passion. You know the passion in your life for Jesus. You can test it every time we stand up and sing. I could be politically correct and I could say, I could go through this whole congregation right now and tell you your passion. I can see it. I'm not judging you. I'm merely saying it's visible. It's visible when you're saying glory to God and your hands in your pockets and you're looking around. I'm not judging you, brothers and sisters. I'm just exhorting you. I'm just saying, no bullshit. That's what it is. <laughs> I mean, you might be an introvert. But I've seen, and you've seen yourself when you're excited and when you're not. There's no accusation in this. It's merely saying, that's why I need the Spirit. All I'm saying is, we are like Peter. I'm encouraging you. I'm also insulting you. I'm insulting you very deliberately. I'm insulting you and I'm saying, in your own strength, you cannot do it. Get over it. Please don't blame me when I point it out to you. It's the gospel. I don't care if you're upset. You cannot do it in your own strength. So, so deal with it. Jesus went to the cross for you. He looked at you and said, you can't do this. Look at you. The only passion you get on is, I've been hurt and I'm denying it. Relax. It's good news. Because what he says, ultimately, he says, is wait in Jerusalem for power. And then what happens to John? And I'm, I'm, I'm finished. Don't worry. What, what happens? You see, this is revelation. Revelation is about what God does because we can't do it. We can't think ourselves into it. You can't think yourself into love. You have to experience it. You can't think yourself into passion. You have to allow it to come out. And all God says is, if you want that stuff, Jesus is the guy who will give it to you. Listen to your heart and let it come out of your heart. That means you've got to go to the cross and tell him that you're not too, you know, excited right now. In fact, I wish you'd hurry up and shut up so we can go off and do something. We're having lunch in half an hour. Thank you, Jesus, you died on the cross and suffered and all the rest, but I need lunch. Well, tough. In Acts chapter 4, I'm going to give an exposition for another hour on that to make my point. But the trouble is you'll all get up and walk out and I'll be hurt. 
Acts chapter 4. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, if you are being, we are being called to account for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed, then know this, but, uh, you and all the people of Israel, is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Peter and John went to prison. They were flogged. And they stood up and said, Bring it on. Let it rain. If this is what it takes to glorify Jesus. No more of the running away. No more of the denying. No more cocks crowing. Bring it on. And eventually Peter would say, I don't deserve to be crucified. Do me upside down, please. I'm not worthy. Don't you want that? Don't you want that kind of passion and conviction that says from the inside out, I bear witness to the living God, and if you, get it, if you need to kill me, then kill me. If you need to do whatever you need to do, then do whatever you need to do. But I don't just want that kind of interaction. I want the interaction that says, I know the living God, and He can heal. And He loves you, and He can set you free. And He can heal your diseases. And He can do it through me, not because I'm anything. I've already dealt with that. The one thing He and I agree upon, that I can't do this. But he's good at it. And I've said to him, Lord, if I'm like a quill in the hand of Shakespeare, I'm for it. Because that's what I want. That's what I was born for. What are you born for? What do you want? I can't answer that question. But I hope I stirred you up a bit. 1 Peter 5, this is what Peter wrote, and this is my final. Uh, he's talking to the leadership, actually. But he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. And Peter knows what this is about, because Peter took some time to learn it, not always willingly. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. It is going to rain. So get an umbrella. Jesus. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Will make you strong and firm and steadfast because he lives in you and you live out of that relationship which is your security, your power, your source of identity. That's what the cross opened up for you and for me today. Because of the cross, our sins are dealt with and God's Spirit is poured into us to be extraordinary witnesses to Him. Let's stand. And Jesus is just standing before you as the risen Christ. What are you born for? 
What is getting in the way or what is something that's maybe a struggle for you at this point, which is quenching your passion? It might be unbelief. It might be tiredness. It might be all kinds of circumstances. And he says, well, I've gone to the cross that I can take everything that is a hindrance. I've gone to the cross uh, so that everything that stands in the way of our relationship, I can deal with. So there's really one question and one very simple question, which is, will you give it to me? Will you give to me whatever it is that you were aware of that is hindering a walk with me? And you can tell me that you don't even believe I exist and I can work with that. But it's face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and it says, who do you say that I am and what do you want? What are you born for? And what are you saying to him? There's not a threat, by the way. It's just real blunt. Because I promise you, the more blunt we are with Jesus, the more powerfully he works. And he will work right now in your heart if you give him permission. And so the first thing I'm asking is, Jesus, we just come before you and we lay down whatever it is that gets in our way. We're not going to be convicted in a nasty way or a depressing way or I'm condemned and poor me, I'm terrible. We're not talking about that. We're talking about rising up and saying, Lord, I want to be more passionate. I want to know you better and I want to take responsibility for that. And so I'm laying down before you this part that's getting in the way right now where I'm struggling with. I thank you that you don't condemn me. I thank you that you're not accusing me right now because I know that you've overcome the evil one. And I'm sick of being, uh, being thrown backwards and forwards by my circumstances. I want to live as bold and steadfast and strong from the inside. And I understand the only way I can do that is in a relationship with you. And at this point, my relationship with you on a scale of 1 to 10 might be anything on that scale. And this is what I'm aware of. I've lost the passion. I've lost my first love. Or I'm getting distracted. Or whatever. Just tell him about it quite quickly and quietly. Doesn't need lots of words. He's so for you. He so loves you. He's so delighted just to be in your face. There is not an ounce of condemnation in him. And he's not angered or shocked at all. He's just saying to us, my brothers and sisters, my children, just as the disciples had to see their weaknesses exposed in the cut and thrust of life, so you do as well. And I need you to press in with me in the cut and thrust of life and not run away from the very truths I'm trying to reveal. I'm trying to reveal truths in you so that you will grow in character and that that passion will be released like a well of the Spirit arising in you. It happens in the context of life. And so I want to meet you in the context of life. And now receive from Him the promise of His faithfulness for you. Receive from Him what he wants to give you for that thing which you've brought to him. Lord Jesus, we pray for the release of your Holy Spirit 
to fill us up right now. Fill us up, Lord, with your presence, your power, your passion, your reality. We're not sitting looking at our feelings. You promised that as we come before you, you will will give and you will pour out. And so we receive it. We receive your yes to us. We receive your boldness. We receive your courage. We receive your commitment and love for truth. And we receive the purposes for which we were born that we are not even aware of yet. And pray that you would release us into a deeper sense of identity. That we won't be defined by our jobs or by what we do or don't do, our weaknesses. We'll be defined by the relationship within you. And now give Jesus thanks. Give him thanks for the spirit that he has placed in you and what he is doing in you. Give him thanks that there is more that he is releasing in you that you can ask or imagine. And you're anticipating receiving that and you have received that. And he's going to make you as effective as Peter and John after the resurrection. But you need to just tell him, Lord, I know that unless I'm filled with your spirit, I can't do anything other than screw up and live on the wrong side of the cross. Come, Holy Spirit, and be released among us, we pray, with boldness, steadfastness, life, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. This is good news. It's incredibly good news. Just rest in, rest in the yes the Lord has. And I'll tell you something, you can gauge your spirit right now. You'll gauge whether you're disengaged or you are engaging. And you can talk to God about that as well. Now is the moment he's speaking. So Father, we we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your promises. As we break bread together, we just come before you with empty hands. Pray that as we receive the bread and wine, we would receive the promise of the living God and that you will increasingly give us a certainty of why we were born and the purpose of our existence and that you will restore us and make us strong and firm and steadfast. When you look down upon us, you will say, that's why I went to the cross. That's why I rose. Look at them. So we bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.